This episode is brought to you by Triggered 22 LLC, a veteran-owned apparel company. By purchasing a t-shirt, hat, or hoodie from Triggered 22, you're not only supporting a small business, but you're bringing awareness to veteran PTSD and suicide. Please help save the lives of those who fought for our freedoms. Visit Triggered22.com now and place your order. Let's help those suffering from invisible wounds. Welcome to the American Grown Podcast, hosted by Austin Sullivan. The American Grown Podcast will focus on people from different walks of life and their journey to where they are now. Now, turn up your volume and settle in for a great episode. Hi, I'm Austin Sullivan. This is the American Grown Podcast, recorded inside the ColorTech Creative Solutions Studios. Today, we have Lucas Stoner, equipment mechanic, outdoors enthusiast, and owner of Little Mountain Log Works. Lucas, welcome to episode 38 of the American Grown Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you for coming in and bringing with what I thought was a cat or some kind of dog when you came around the corner here. Yeah. Um, what do you have here? Oh, I got a coyote fur from a coyote that I killed in Lebanon County last year. Local farmer had given me a call and said he had some running around the farm, coming into his compost pile behind the chicken houses, and uh, yeah, I ended up calling in. This is one of three blonde coyotes that I had gotten, so I had to get it tanned, and I thought I'd bring it in tonight. Oh, it's awesome. Is it all right if I touch it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I know it's not going to bite me. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I never... I never was this close to a coyote skin or a coyote in general. Wow. So they're pretty aggressive, pretty vicious. Yeah. Yeah. They um, they can definitely do some damage to uh, house pets and uh, fawns and turkeys. And so it's good to have some people out there keeping them in check. Yeah. Some of the topics we want to cover include hunting, woodworking, running a sawmill, and just living a, a simple, self-sufficient lifestyle. Yeah. And I was trying to remember how I first heard about you. And actually I had to text my sister, Rebecca Poff, because she originally mentioned your name. This goes back before, way before COVID because you had been helping out or doing some things with Jamie Sokovic yep. at uh, Chamberson Spring Farm. So that's kind of where I first heard your name. And then it wasn't until I started going with my in-laws to the FIHO, yep. your Fredericksburg Eagle Hotel, for those that don't know, and uh, Mike and Jamie Sephore, you had just recently this is one you know i found out redid all their tables yes yeah so uh early on i jamie sakovic the the way i met jamie was uh through my wife jackie she was into horses uh jamie was one of her really good friends and uh so i met jamie that way we'd spend a lot of time at the farm i did a couple of things for jamie woodworking wise um also and uh, just became friends with Jamie that way. Uh, so then I met your sister through seeing her there a couple times. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, gosh. Sometimes I think she lives there, you yeah. know, mucking the stalls and everything. She's very passionate about uh, equestrian and, and her horse. Uh, what is it? Shyla, I think it is. So that's kind of how I first heard about you. And I didn't know you did the live edge and the woodworking until, um, you know, talking with Mikey. Because at the Eagle Hotel, I was like, these tables are beautiful, you know, and and uh the craftsmanship and the quality of it so that's kind of what grabbed my attention you know that's kind of how we we met and oh for those listeners that haven't listened uh episode 17 talks about 
Mike Safor, now former owner of the Fredericksburg Eagle Hotel or the FIHO. Um, he sold it to the defuncts. But uh, so let's get some background on yourself early on. Where'd you grow up, school, things like that? Yeah. So uh, growing up, my dad was always a hands-on kind of guy. Um, we we definitely didn't have a whole lot of money growing up, so we learned pretty quickly that uh, we took care of things ourselves. Um, he was a mechanic all my childhood. He could fix about anything, at least in my eyes he could. And uh, so I learned from a young age that just because you may not have a lot doesn't mean that you can't thrive. So, you know, whether it was fixing our own cars or fixing our appliances or, you know, whatever, whatever it took, we, we kind of handled it ourselves. And that's kind of the way I've lived my life since then. Right out of school, I kind of followed in the footsteps and I started working on cars right after I graduated. And then, um, I kind of learned that cars wasn't really, the path that I wanted to take, although I liked being a mechanic, I went towards uh, construction equipment. So I got a job uh, with Power Pro Equipment. Uh, they're based in New Holland. They have multiple branches, but the main branch is in New Holland. And I started there right out of school. February of 2001, I started there. I worked there for almost 18 years um, until I parted ways with that company. And uh, I started up with uh, Stevenson Equipment based in Harrisburg, and I'm still working on equipment. I'm running a truck, and I go out to job sites, and I fix anything from skid loaders to wheel loaders, backhoes, and I, I still love what I do. So um, that's kind of the background on my on my main career and how that went. As far as the woodworking goes, I've... You know, I grew up in the woods. My parents, I was raised in on the mountain behind Fredericksburg and uh, currently live in the house and property next to my parents. So uh, I didn't I didn't go very far, but I just love being out in the wilderness and nature and living in the woods. I've always loved the natural beauty of, you know, things that you make out of wood. And probably about 15 years ago, a buddy of mine his brother had picked up a sawmill at a sale and it was sitting in the weeds at their family farm for years. And out of the blue one day when I was over visiting him, he said, let's dig that sawmill out and get that thing running. So we dug it out. Um, we stuck all the chains and things into an oil bath, got them loosened up again, got the engine running, um, got the thing put together, leveled up and we ran a couple trees through and it just, it sparked something in me. I was I was instantly hooked as soon as we started running that. It just something about taking a, a log that you just pulled out of the woods and putting it on the sawmill and turning it into some beautiful slabs that you can make some furniture out of that just hooked me instantly. So my father and I have always been really close. And uh, I, I got home that day after we did that. And I said to him, I said, man, you have to come down with me next time we run that sawmill. I said, it's just it's so much fun. And, you know, we were constantly cutting trees down at die or whatever. You know, we cut a lot of firewood to heat our houses. And the next time I went down, I took him with, and, and he was he was hooked. He loved it. Um, so we, we discussed it a little bit. I was much younger at that point, and I didn't really have the funds to just go out and buy a sawmill. But my dad was at a point in his life where he, he could, and he said, well, how about, how about we start a little side business? He said... Um, 
I'll get the sawmill. You put in the majority of the labor work and uh, we'll just split whatever we get out of it. So uh, we bought our own sawmill. Uh, we started making some stuff for ourselves, some rustic benches, and um, Facebook at that time was kind of hitting off, and you know, all you have to do is post a picture of that thing that you made, and it, it gets a lot of attention. It can blow so, up pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I made yeah. a bench. I, I posted a picture, and before I knew it, I had like five or six orders for the same exact thing. Whoa. So Yeah, we. it's just something we do on the side. Um, it, it did get a little bigger over the years, but... You know, it started out as just doing some some benches, and then we moved into some tables, and recently we're getting into some more, you know, man caves have become pretty popular lately, so we're doing a lot of bar tops for man caves, and cutting boards, serving boards, you know, all kinds of stuff. We don't get into, like, the fine carpentry work, but the rustic live-edge stuff, we, you know, live-edge selves for mantles, whatever, that all that stuff. And for the listeners out there that aren't familiar, I highly recommend you go to Little Mountain Log Works Facebook page and check out some of the photos. I was kind of checking it out myself last night just to familiarize myself, and some of the bars you do are phenomenal. Yeah. You know, they're really, really quality. Yeah, they're quality pieces, for sure. Let's take it back, being an uh, equipment mechanic, is there a certain type of um, brand? Like, you know, what do we have? There's like a Volvo Construction, there's CAD, there's you know, uh, John Deere, is there a certain type that you work on or you can work on anything and everything? For the most part, I work for a JCB dealer. So, um, for the most part, what I work on is JCB equipment. We're a dealer for them. So we do a lot of, uh, warranty work, service work, everything for JCB. I'm certified to get into the computers and, and make adjustments where need be. I do work on, some other equipment, if we have customers that have JCBs and may have something else, I do work on some customers that have other brands, but for the most part, I stick to JCB. And JCB is? It's uh, it's a UK machine, so okay. um, now they have they have some plants based here in the U.S. Uh, I just toured their plant in Savannah, Georgia, oh, wow. where they make their skid loaders and some small load-alls and, and things like that. They have a, a lot of warehouse parts warehouses in the U.S., but their main, you know, where they started was in in the U.K. Gotcha. So big, heavy construction equipment. You you work on that kind of yeah yep. that kind of stuff. Very cool. And I um, saw on Facebook. I don't know if you still are, but you had worked or volunteered as a firefighter at Fredericksburg Fire Department. Yes. Yep. Uh, when I was a teenager, I I had uh, seen the the fire trucks going through town. You know, when I was in high school. You know, I seen them going out to the schools and trying to re recruit some new members, and it was something I wanted to do, but I was also very active playing sports in high school, and my parents kind of told me, we can't be running you to the fire company on top of all your sports. So they made a deal with me that, you know, when I got to the point where I could drive myself, have my own car, then I could join. So I think it was somewhere around 1998... Uh, I joined the fire company, been running with them ever since. I still, I'm still active there. I don't make it quite as much as I used to, but I'm still pretty active. Um, I actually hold a, an officer's position. I'm a lieutenant right now. I've held pretty much all of them except for chief uh, over the years. But yeah, it's something I, I always wanted to give to the community. I mean, my grandfather's been in the Lions Club as long as I can remember. 
I didn't always have the money to give uh, donations to different things, but you know, this was my way of donating to the community. I, I donate my time. So yeah. I'm pretty passionate about it. I, I'll do, I'll continue to do it as long as I can. Um, I just something gratifying about being there in someone's time of need that keeps me going and, and makes me want to continue. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. You know, cause yeah. sometimes they're, you're the unsung heroes, you know what I mean? But you're the first line of defense, whether it's uh, EMS, firefighters, police officers. Right. And you guys definitely don't get the recognition you deserve. So, you know, seriously, thank you. And now, is there a certain story or moment when you were out on a call, you know, as a volunteer firefighter that you could share with us that really, like you said, you're very passionate about, but was there something that really kicked it off for you? I can't really say a certain moment. Um, the, The whole experience is just... It, it's hard to explain, but um, there's many times when you show up when someone really needs you. They they don't necessarily want to have to make that call, but when it's when when they need to, they're just they're very happy to see us come in a timely fashion, professional, and help their family out. Whatever it may be, is is it a car accident? Is it a house fire? Um, medical call? Whatever it might be, but. I was always raised to treat other people the way I want to be treated. So I've tried, as I've grown older, it's changed. The meaning hasn't changed. I take it a little differently now. I I want to be the person that I'm expecting in whatever situation it may be. So, you know, when it comes to the fire side of things, I strive to be the fireman that I would want to see show up in my time of need. So that's what keeps me going. That's what gives me, you know, that at the time of the call, they may not have time to express it, but we all, you know, we're constantly getting letters. We're constantly getting thank you cards from people that say, Hey, you know, thank you so much for being there. And that's the little kids. When we go out to the school and we do our spiel for the little kids at the elementary school, the, all the cards that they color us and send back, it's, it's really cool to sit down and look through those and, I could just remember back to when I was a kid and how much that meant to see them show up in the fire truck and so that's that's why I do it. Yeah. So now being a passionate hunter, we're going to we're going to switch over to your you know your hobby and you're really kind of like a career also. Can you share with us some of the animals that you have hunted over the years? Sure. My first ever hunt unfortunately when I turned 12 and was able to hunt, I missed the deer season by a couple of months. So when I was able to hunt, my first hunt was uh, actually rabbits. So my grandfather kind of would get the sons and son-in-laws and their their kids, the grandkids together, and we would go out and do a rabbit hunt. And I just remember it being the greatest thing ever to, to have the family all together and, and go out and do a rabbit hunt. And then my grandmother was an excellent cook and she... You know, we bring the stuff home, we clean it, and then she'd make us a big dinner for everybody to sit down and enjoy it. So that started me off, and from there it just kind of snowballed. Uh, my dad was a deer hunter, so he got me into deer hunting. I started archery hunting as soon as I could start hunting, so I did archery, I did rifle. As I as I got older, my love for hunting just continued to snowballing, and uh at this point in my life, I pretty much hunt everything except for waterfowl. I'm not I'm not into the duck and goose hunting. Um, it's just I've never done it, and it's something I haven't gotten into. But 
other than that, I've hunted pretty much everything. I, I don't do a lot of big game hunts like out west and, and whatnot, but in Pennsylvania, you know, I'm a black bear hunter. I, I enjoy deer hunting. I've gotten a Pennsylvania black bear, um, which, you know, not everybody can say, but it's definitely an exciting there's there's different ways to hunt everything you know you know when we're hunting black bear we're hunting with a group of guys and we're driving the mountains northern pennsylvania um when i'm deer hunting i'm solo i'm by myself i'm in a stand i like archery hunting because it's kind of a quiet time of year you're sitting there you're you're in a stand you're not far off the ground everything's close and in your you know in your face you're seeing nature as it's supposed to be rifle season's a little different story you know you have hundreds of thousands of guys in the woods and there's a lot of commotion and stuff's running around and crazy but it it's a different kind of excitement and probably my late teens I started um, fox hunting so me and my cousin we we have an we had an old Johnny Stewart tape player that we would take out to call fox and and back in back in that time we're using flashlights and uh, shotguns and I, I just, I mean, there's something about calling something into you and using that red light and you see those eyes light up a hundred yards away and start working their way into you. It's just, and all the while you're, you know, it's midnight, it's pitch black and you're, you're blaring that squealing rabbit. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not for everybody, but for me, it's an adrenaline boost. Um, I was going to say it's probably an adrenaline rush. Yeah. And I have friends that hunt and, and family, but I, never did so when you hunt fox i was gonna say you have to do it at night right because that's when they're most active yeah i've yeah. hunted them during the day usually first thing in the morning when it first gets light um last light in the afternoon but they're most active you know from seven o'clock until whatever time normally we're going out at seven and maybe coming home at midnight or something like that but okay and i saw online that for archery or a bow hunter you normally have to get within roughly like 40 yards yeah. of, your, of your target. Yep. That's got to be pretty tough. Yeah, it takes a lot of, it's not just the going out and hunting. It's, um, there's a lot of prep beforehand. You know, you're scouting your areas. You're, you might be putting out a little bit of mineral in the middle of summertime just to see what's in the area and figure out travel corridors and put your stand at the right spot. Cause you do got to get close. You got to, you know, you want to be, ideally in that 40 yards and under range for a good ethical shot so yeah it can be difficult and it can be frustrating there's there's many times that i've seen that that big buck out there at 60 yards or 70 yards and it's just yeah you can't get the shot and you just got to watch him walk by and hope it's got to be tough yeah i mean it's beautiful to probably watch but at the same time it's got to be killing you on the inside yeah now you put probably put out a lot of trail cams then also yes i do i do use some trail cams um I'm not like some that have the cellular cams that come to their phone and stuff like that, but I have some out and, but for the most part, I've been hunting the same, same areas for the last 30 some years. So I, I pretty much know what, where I should be and what's yeah. going on. I, I kind of have my stand set and I might tweak them a little bit here and there, but it's pretty much the same deal. You mentioned that you got a, was it a, a, a black bear? Or, yeah. So can you tell us how, how that went down? Can you sure. kind of walk us through that hunt? Yeah, so I, I went with a buddy of mine. He's I have a cabin in Potter County, and so does he. Um, so they had a, a pretty diehard group of black bear hunters, and he kind of got me into it. So I, I went with him one year. We went up, and we didn't see any. 
Um, but it's still a good time. You know, you get together with a bunch of your buddies yeah. and, and yeah. go hunting for the weekend. But uh, I went back the next year and uh, we did a couple of drives. Um, we did one drive that was real thick. And uh, so what does that mean? Like a drive and, and real thick? You're yeah. doing uh, you're doing little patches. Uh, so basically, you have some setters that that you'll put out in front of you um, where you intend to push push an area that may be holding some game that might be uh, hiding under a, some briars or up under some mountain laurel or whatnot. So you'll you generally have you know five to ten setters that'll be set out on the next ridge, and you're gonna push the ridge before that towards them in hopes that they it pushes the game towards in into a, an area where they can get a shot so i was one of the setters on this particular hunt and um i could see the guys coming across the hill over from me and just like that out of nowhere the three bear had popped out of the thicket uh in front of me and i just happened to be the one right in front of where they were so um, they came tearing down over the hill, and, and the biggest one happened to be the first one and took a shot. And it's not an easy thing to do to hit a bear. You think they, as big as a bear is, they can't move very right. fast, but yeah. they, they can move. So cooking down over the hill, hit it hit it in the front shoulder, the first shot, rolled it, and um, then took one follow-up shot to finish it. But, yeah, we, we ended up getting all three out of that drive, and it was, it was pretty oh, wow. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you remember what caliber? You, uh, I think at that time I was shooting uh, 300 Winchester short mag. Okay, yeah. yeah. And that moment when you saw the bear, you know, coming over the mountain, coming over the hillside, it's like, so what went through? I mean, you got your adrenaline through the roof, so how do you calm that down to take that shot? Yeah, it actually didn't have much time to set in until after I made the <laughs> shot. Yeah. Um, it happened so quick, and actually you spend the first couple seconds in your mind second guessing if what you're seeing is actually true you know oh, wow yeah because yeah. you up until that point i had never seen a bear that i was hunting so when i saw it i was like is, is that a, yeah that's a bear <laughs> so <laughs> right. you take a couple of that first couple seconds you're like confirming to yourself that what you're seeing is is actually happening and then it was just a matter of getting the gun and up and steady and and making the shot but there's a lot going on, you know, you're, you're watching where your drivers are, you're making sure that everything's safe. And, you know, ever since I started hunting, every, you know, safety is, is the number one key. So making sure that everything lines up before you can just pull that trigger because you can't call it back after it's out of the barrel. Yeah. So. so now was that the largest animal you've ever taken down? Probably the largest animal that I've shot was probably, I've been to uh, Saskatchewan, Canada, hunting whitetail. The whitetail deer in, in Canada, in certain parts of Canada, get 300 and some pounds. So Whoa. Um, I've gotten two nice buck in Saskatchewan, and I would say that those were probably the biggest animals. And they're, they weighed more than the bear. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, the bear that I shot was, I believe, 145 pounds field-dressed, which doesn't sound big but it's it's pretty much an average size for bear in pennsylvania maine wherever you might be hunting on the east coast and it was actually six years old which is a decent age for a bear also wow so let me ask you this then so once you get the bear or the deer so what's the next step then because that's a lot of weight to yeah. be carrying down yeah so when we hunted the bear we were a couple miles back in the woods so at that point you know we've we field dress it 
and then we find a good sturdy stick and we tie the legs up on the stick and then you have it draped underneath and get a couple guys in line and take turns walking it out yeah just walk it out like that wow yeah the thick brush and everything if you're not if you're not carrying the bear you're helping to carry the guys gear that are carrying the bear and then you just swap out it's a team effort yeah you know for sure okay you know your passion for hunting your love of hunting, you and Mike Sephore, Mikey, uh, started what I'll call a side hustle um, called 717 Predator Control. Uh, can you tell us about that? And, you know, what's the best way to get in touch if someone is having a problem with a predator, whether it's a fox or coyote or, I don't know, even maybe a bear? I really started getting into coyote hunting uh, about five years ago, and um, it's kind of hooked me pretty, pretty bad. I got my first coyote not even really trying to coyote hunt. I was deer hunting and um, one happened to come past. And after that, I just, it really hooked me. And I thought, man, I as much as I love fox hunting, I got to get into coyote hunting. Now, coyote hunting is not, not something that's easy. You know, um, we don't have the amount of coyotes that we do fox. Um, there's probably half as many, maybe less. Um coyotes running around as there is fox but the damage that they do is tenfold over what a fox will do so uh, i got into that i started calling i had a a little luck with it and then the thermals started becoming uh, more affordable and what i mean by thermal is uh, thermal imaging scope so basically the scope that i use at night now detects heat off the animal and that's how i see it in my scope rather than using a flashlight to pick up the reflection in their eyes you've come a long way from yeah. when you were a teenager hunting yeah with a shotgun and flashlight yeah yeah so i was able to pick up my first thermal four years ago now and the first year i i basically quadrupled what i was getting prior to that with a flashlight and i was just hooked i mean every every free evening i had i was out trying it and so mike was always a good friend of mine he's a he's a big hunter and i said to him one time i said man you got to come with me and check out this thermal thing and we'll call some fox and and hopefully a coyote and so i took him out with me a a couple nights and he checked out my stuff and he's like man i gotta get me one of those (laughs) i believe it yeah he was hooked so he ended up buying himself a thermal scope for his gun, and um, we've been good hunting buddies ever since then. We're, we pretty much spend all our late summer through fall and into the winter just out after fox and coyotes. And you get a couple here and there, and the farmers hear about it. They tell their farmer friends, and next thing you know, you get phone calls. Hey, can you come down here? I hear them at night. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, we've been... We've been doing that. Uh, it's it's not it's not a lucrative thing for us. We're not making money off of it. We enjoy the hunting aspect of it, and we just are looking to pick up properties um, around the area that we can other spots to have. Because one thing with the coyote calling, the fox calling, is you can't overplay your areas, or you or you chase them out, you burn them out, and they won't come in anymore. Basically, when I'm hunting a spot, I if I hunt that spot, it's going to be another month before I go back there. Oh, wow. Um, especially if I see something and I don't get it or, you know, whatever. But having, you know, we've got probably 50 or 60 spots that we hunt, and it's just, 
we keep adding more just so that we have fresh areas to hit and we're not playing out our spots but the the name we came up with just is a something for people to remember um we cover burks lebanon schuylkill counties uh we do some hunting in potter county and he's he's got some properties picked up for us out near raystown so we we get around uh you can get a hold of us through social media you know he's on facebook i'm on facebook and then i you know i have an instagram l stoner little mountain log works but yeah you get a hold of us send us a message through any of those we'll give you our number you and mikey going out in these these night hunts what's like you know you're not wearing uh you know your sunday best what what, what is it all blackout what do you it doesn't it matter what you wear uh, it does. It does because you, you'd be amazed how your eyes acclimate to the little bit of light that is out at night. So once you're out there and you're in the, the dark and you're not using flashlights, because now with the thermal, you know, we sneak into these fields. We're not using lights. We're walking in in the pitch black. We don't want anything to know we're there. We're setting up our collar in the dark. Um, everything's in the dark. We have thermal monoculars that we use to scan with. Uh, they just hang around our neck, and it's just like a, a, you know, a pair of binoculars, but it's a single monocular, and it it also sees thermal. So as we're walking in, we'll scan the field, make sure we're not going to spook anything out. We get our stuff set up, and then we turn the call on, and and then call them in. But yeah, we want to be dressing in either dark colors. You can still wear camo. Basically, you don't want anything that uh, a fox, a coyote. Any of those things, they can see way better than we can in the dark. So we're positioning ourselves so that we're not, you know, skylined um, because that little bit of light that the moon's putting off, if you don't have something to your back, they're going to pick you up. They're going to see your silhouette. So we're positioning ourselves in front of a tree, in front of some bushes, on a fence row. That's amazing. To break up your outline. Yeah, and, and blend in. Yeah. You know, with that, with the, the, the background. That's crazy. I didn't know their eyesight was that good. And, you know, you mentioned early on their favorite thing to kind of snack on. It sounds like a chickens. Uh, you know, you mentioned fawns, uh, pets. Yep. So uh, we're we're playing sounds to, to mimic um, the prey that they're going to go after. Rabbits is a big thing. Um, they also like to go after mice and voles. So... We'll play that kind of squeaky stuff. Um, depending on the time of year, we'll play sounds that that mimic their own sound. You know, coyote sounds, whether it's aggressive or mating or whatever. Pup, pup distress sounds like their their pups would make. Whatever we can use to spark their interest to come in and check it out. Wow. What does being an outdoor enthusiast mean to you? Basically, what it means to me is that it's... It's kind of a lifestyle for me. I <clears throat> I live there on the mountain. Um, you know, I just I love to spend all my free time in the outdoors. So when it comes to vacations, I'm I'm not I'm not the kind of person to pack up the family and go to the beach. Uh, I just I like being out in the outdoors. I like seeing nature for what it is. So if I get if I got time to go on a vacation, it's usually going to be a camping trip somewhere. It's going to be checking out uh some new area that i haven't been in a state park or whatever my fiance and i went to montana last year and i just loved it i mean it was one of the best experiences i've ever had and we're getting married in september and um 
we our honeymoon is going to be a return trip to Montana. So oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you want to shout her out? What's her What's her name? Here? Yeah. Yeah. So Becca Swagger. Uh, I. I met her, uh, well, I'll give you, I have to give you a little bit of a backstory here. Okay, so, please. Um, I mentioned Jackie earlier. Uh, I was married to Jackie. Um, she she was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. She came into my life at a time when I, I wasn't, uh, I was early 20s. I wasn't really sure, you know, there's, that's, that's kind of a turning point for a lot of people. But um, <clears throat> she kind of changed my life. Uh, put me on a straight and narrow and um she had a an autoimmune disease which at the time I met her she tried to explain she tried to scare me away as much as possible and tell me that I, I didn't want to get involved but I, I didn't listen to her we were married for almost 10 years um she ended up passing away from her autoimmune disease but she taught me a lot along the way and uh, soon after she passed, I had a, a good friend of mine that I do a lot of hunting with um, that had a camp in, in Potter County. And he said, you really need to come up for the 4th of July. He said, we, we have a big camp out up here. You need to come up and just spend some time camping with us. And and uh, it's going to be a great weekend. So I did. I loaded my stuff up in the car and I headed up there and um, just totally by chance uh, a mutual friend of his was camping there also and brought his family and uh becca was his daughter and and she showed up there out of the blue and that's how we met and we spent a couple nights by the campfire just getting to know each other and by the end of the weekend we had exchanged numbers and um kept in contact after that and two years later we're getting married so yeah shout out to becca that's yeah. awesome seriously and then to go back to montana i've never been but i heard it's it's beautiful yeah so you know one of the things that really um hooked me with becca was she's also an outdoor enthusiast and she loves she loves the hiking she loves the being in the outdoors the only difference between the two of us is she's not into hunting which is perfectly fine but <laughs> yeah uh, we share a lot of the same loves in our life and which is you know the biggest is just spending time in the outdoors and out of the blue she said to me last year i'm booking a trip to montana i've always wanted to go she said would you like to come along and i was like yeah i'd love to so we um flew out to montana and and spent some what i think it was four days checking out glacier national park we decided after we got married that um our honeymoon was going to be a return trip back there and um it started out as being uh, a fly back out and, and rent a car and do that. And we just recently purchased a uh, Toyota Tacoma together. And uh, I ordered a, a pretty rugged cap for the back of it. And I think we're going to turn our trip to Montana into a road trip. And oh, nice. Yeah. Kind of camp out of the back of the truck and, and check out, you know, all the all the sites in between here. And yes. There, so. Yeah. It's because you're going to really see the site. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. Congrats. That's awesome. So, you know, I really liked this quote that you had said, I believe in gaining as many skills as possible to be independent from society. Uh, in this day and age, why do you think that is so important? I, I guess the way I was brought up that you you do as much as you can for yourself. You can't always depend on other people to to fix your problems for you or to, uh, it, unless you have a really deep pocket, it's hard to just pay for other people to take your problems away for you. So I was brought up in, in that you find a way to figure it out yourself. My dad was never a plumber. He was never an electrician. 
we weren't carpenters, but we always found a way to make it work. You know, it doesn't matter if it took you half a dozen times doing it the wrong way to figure out the right way, but you know, you do it. So to me, I tried to raise my kids the same way. You know, you change, change your own oil in your car. You might not be a master mechanic, but if you at least know how to change your own oil, then changing your spare tire beside the road's not that big a deal. Especially having daughters, you know, it, one of my fears is you, you break down with that flat tire in, in a not so great area and you, you're sitting there waiting for somebody to come help you out. Where if you have the skill to do it yourself, you get out, you change your tire, you're on your way. Right. It's to go further than that, the self sufficient thing for me. You know, this year we started our own garden, uh, which was something I never did before, but I thought it was important to set this time aside to try it myself. Um, you know, we we didn't go full in the first year. We planted a few things. We got some zucchini and we got some tomato plants going and whatnot, but it's just um, being able to provide for yourself is a very gratifying thing. Um, when you sit down and you have a meal with some vegetables you picked out of your own garden, it's it's pretty good feeling. It, it means more, right? You know, you know, it it, it it. I'm sure it feels like you said more rewarding for sure. So now, what are some basic survival skills that you would recommend? You know, ev- everyone should learn. Well, I think before you get to the survival skills thing, I think something that's very important is for you to have the the belief in yourself that you can do it. So that takes a little bit of work to get to that point. But once you believe in yourself and you know that you can depend on yourself in a time where maybe things are a little hectic, um, then I think the, the basic skills that you should have would be you know how to shoot a deer, you know how to field dress it yourself, you know how to – we butcher all our own stuff. So basically when we shoot a deer – we haul it back to the house, we hang it up, we cut it up into pieces, the cuts of meat that we want ourselves. Um, I might take it to the butcher to get sausage or hamburger or something made, but basically that thing will come back to the garage, get cut up, and go in the freezer and can be you know, in the frying pan the next night or whatever. As far as skills, I think if you know how to do stuff like that, I think if you know building fires and, and maybe not a great situation – I, I've taught some classes for some youth groups on starting fires without using newspaper and matches, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> right, right. Um, and fl- I, and I always, or, yeah, yeah, Flint, um, yeah. So you're basically, you're, or if I do teach them how to use a match, you're using a, a match or, you oh, know, wow. You, you get like one try. One this, shot. So, yeah, yeah. Don't mess it up. So yeah. I'm, I'm stressing the fact that they have to find dry stuff to start with. You, you may only get that one chance at, you know, you, your pack of matches is wet. Maybe you get one of them to work or something like that. But yeah, I think fire starting, I think basic shelter building, basically being able to teach yourself that you can do without uh, is is something that's really important also it really is a a shock to a lot of people if you take take away the internet and the television and the soft bed and and that kind of thing it really can throw people off uh, just being able to experience a night where you're sleeping out under the stars or with just a sleeping bag or something like that is 
is if you can make it through something like that then you know if if need be you can do so because yeah you know you're you're traveling you get into a snowstorm you you know you're stranded alongside the road maybe there's maybe you have to spend 12 hours by yourself before somebody can come help you out it's it's not it's not just all about a, a doomsday situation it, it could be basic any everyday uh emergencies that cause it yeah Sometimes I think the creature comforts, like the phone, the TV, like you said, the comfy, warm bed that, uh, you know, our ancestors and going way back generations, you know, they, they didn't have that. And they right. were very self-sufficient. You know, my grandmother, she had a garden. It's interesting to see how, as technology is more prevalent in our lives, how much we forget those old ways. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah, you yeah. take things for granted. It comes down to realizing how dependent you are on the modern conveniences and um just i think it just goes back to taking a look and and knowing that that stuff can be taken away at any time you know, there's there's been bad storms that come through the area the power's been knocked out my house is heated by a wood stove so if the power goes out our house is always yeah. have heat and if you don't have a way to do that, you know, the, having a generator, having backups to in place, it's it's the forward thinking kind of mentality where you just gotta you just gotta sit back and look at a situation that could happen because, um, or I think our weather is getting weirder and weirder as as stuff goes on. So you know, there's there's always the chance of the power going down. Um, and and it could be for days. I, I remember a time, I, I can't remember the year, but we had a serious storm come through Fredericksburg. And I ran fire calls for two and a half days straight. Wow. Um, just uh, Fredericksburg and that surrounding area was just crippled by the storm. Uh, just, you know, cutting up trees across the roadway for days. There was close to a week where we were without power in some of the areas. So <clears throat> having a backup you know generator or something where you can power your freezer and you don't lose everything i was just thinking that i was thinking yeah. your food probably within what 24 48 hours is goes bad right in the fridge yeah yep. kind of change mindsets here little mountain log works how'd you come up with the name and i know you gave us a little bit of background but let's go a little bit deeper into that i don't the name was just something that i thought was catchy uh something a little different so me and my dad started you know making some stuff for other people the name came on a couple of months later down the road after we were kind of into it. No reason other than we live on the Little Mountain. So the area that we're from is uh, that everybody refers to it as the Little Mountain. Then you have the mountain chain behind us, which is the Big Mountain, the Blue Mountain. Um, that's the mountain that the Appalachian Trail runs across. Um, so I just played off the Little Mountain and went with Little Mountain Log Works. Um, so, yeah, it, basically we just we're, – we're doing – tables and benches and and bar tops and stuff for anybody that's looking for that rustic the live edge kind of came on here a couple of years ago and became popular so yeah is there a favorite rustic piece of furniture that you've built i i don't know i'm pretty i'm pretty proud of the uh black walnut tables that the hotel has there yeah, those, yeah. those things are they're awesome um black walnut is probably one of the nicest thing nicest woods that you can work with um it's it's not nice health wise because the sawdust that comes off of black walnut is really not that good to inhale. But oh jeez, <laughs> um, the the product that turns out from it is just beautiful. That that 
dark chocolate color really comes to life when you put some clear on top of it. Um, and just every piece is different. That's part of, I don't stain anything that I do. It's all polyurethane clear coat. Um, I just like seeing the natural look of it and, and every piece that you, until you get it sanded and you get that first coat on, you're not really sure what it's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like Christmas day. Every time you finish one of those pieces, and the desk we're sitting at right now, you made this. Yeah. Uh, and I get a lot of comments from guests that come in and, and people that work here at ColorTech at our family business. And they're like, where'd you get that? Or, or like, that's so cool. Just because it's so different. You know, it's not manufactured in a in a big warehouse or a big corporation like Walmart or Sam's Club mass producing. It's it's so unique. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Every piece is a little bit different. Um, so it's, that's what that's what keeps it exciting. Yeah. So now what motivates you in your day-to-day life to be the best version of yourself? I, I just, I look at, I look at my family. So when I was growing up, you know, my parents always, and my, my parents and my grandfathers, they always told me that you just, whatever you're going to do, give it your all, put a hundred percent into what you're doing. Um, if it's, if it's, uh, important enough for you to take time out of your life to do it, then you might minds well give it a hundred percent. So that's kind of, kind of the way I've tried to live my life. Um, whether it's, it's family or work or a hobby or whatever, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to put a hundred percent into it. Um, and I just, I just, uh, kept that going through my life. I tried to teach my kids that, um, you know, Becca, she has two little girls and I'm trying to, we're trying to get them into the outdoors and show them, you know, there's, there's more to life than, than sitting in front of a screen. So we're, we're showing them the bugs. We're showing them, you know, birds. And every time we're driving, we're, we're looking at deer or turkeys or whatever. And, and so I think that kind of stuff is just, you get a lot more out of that kind of a lifestyle than, than growing up in front of a screen. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Like I said, it's tough because it's so prevalent, you know, now some of this, the schools, not there's anything wrong with it, but, you know, this is how I guess these new generations, next generations are learning. But when I was in school, you had a notebook, you had to buy books, you had to, you know what I mean? Now it's like, okay, here's your laptop, here's your iPad or whatever it is. And, and not saying the schools or anything to do anything wrong, but it's so much. Then you get home, you got, you know, the TV, you got yeah. your phone on you, your computers at work. It's, it's definitely a lot of screen time. And I think... If, you know, both adults and the youth coming up just take time, like you said, to just appreciate Mother Nature. Right. Yeah. yeah I. It, one of the things that kind of irritates me is the way society is going and we're getting away from some of these old old school techniques and uh, hobbies. And we're we're pushing the kids into um, you, there's a lot of kids that don't know anything about hunting hunting's fading off uh, among the youth and i it makes me sad to think that there's kids that don't get to you know try it out you know i, I at least want to when i was raising my kids i at least wanted them to try it mm-hmm. if they don't like it that's fine yeah. it's not for everybody but i wanted to at least give them the chance to to give it a try and see if it might be something that interests them yeah i i just think it, you know, another thing that Beck and I are kicking around is possibly homeschooling the kids. Um, just, I, I have a couple of friends that have, have started that and 
their kids get to go on these awesome hiking field trips, you know, almost on a weekly basis as yeah. part of their curriculum that, you know, they're, they're learning life skills, but they're doing it in a way that nature's involved, um, rather than sitting in front of screen, sitting in, you know, at a desk where you're just one of many, right. Your personality's not pulled out, yeah. uh, you know? Yeah. So it, it's not, it's not strictly politically based. It's, it's more, it's more, you know, we're looking to instill, give them every chance we can to be a part of life, not just what's put right in front of you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think homeschooling is something that, that I've thought about with, with Parker. And uh, we have a, a baby boy on the way here shortly. Actually, early January, he should be here. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. But uh, it's something that, that I've thought of. And sometimes it comes with like a, I think a stigma. But at the same time, and, and the schools have changed so much. Um, just in general, I remember when I was in school, no headphones, no chewing gum, no phone out. Now I've seen we've gone into a couple schools and you know they have the headphones, the phones out, yep. you know chewing gum. I'm like, so what's going on? You know, I graduated 2011 and here it's 2023 or last year 2022. I'm like, man, things have really changed. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what motivates you. What would you say you're most passionate about? I I think what I'm most passionate about is. I'm really close with family. I think having a strong tie to your family um, and a good core group of friends that you're there for each other no matter what time of day, situation, it it just doesn't matter. Um, and, and really what brought that home is, is being a part of Jackie's life and watching, even though she faced she knew that her time on earth was going to be shorter than most. Um, she, her optimism for life was remarkable. She just had this faith in God. She had this love of family and friends that just radiated off of her. And it's something that really brought home to me what's important in life and, um, family and friends and faith in God is just, you know, three things that just, um, I just, that's what's most important to me. Um, I brought this piece of rope with as one of my items tonight, and um, it's got three strands to it. So when Jackie and I went to our um, marriage therapy or whatever classes you go to before your pastor pastor will marry you, um, the first night we went, the pastor gave us a, a piece of rope that was made of three strands, and he said, uh, a rope of three strands is not easily broken. And he explained it to me like the one strand is yourself. The second strand would be, um, you know, your your family or your spouse or whoever is, is that, that backbone to you in your life. And then the third strand is God. So if you incorporate those three things in your life, it's it's going to be really hard to break you down. So um, that's that's something that really stuck with me since that day. And, and I, I just, family and God is important to me. And I try to uh, try to be the person that they need. And, and they're the same to me. The items you brought, you mentioned the rope, the, the coyote 
pelt or, or skin here. Yep. Um, and I saw, and you probably always carry it, yeah. but I saw you have a pretty big size knife. No, I, I actually brought this along also as okay. one of my items. Um, so another thing that is important to me is supporting, you know, small, small business. Um, so I brought a, a handmade hand forged knife that my buddy made for me. He's a, he's a blacksmith and he makes uh, handmade knives, forges them. This one was actually forged out of a piece of cable, um, so wow that's something that's pretty important to me uh the leather sheath was made by one of his buddies that does leather work oh wow um, okay so something that's important to me is supporting the the small business um anytime that i can i'm gonna i'm gonna buy that piece that that one-off piece from a local craftsman um i'm gonna support the small bait shop over the chain store um and it, it may not be the cheapest way to go. It may not be the most convenient, but it, you're you're doing more than just purchasing an item for yourself. You're supporting somebody that has uh, you, you know the same goals and the same um, outlook on life as you do. So that's that's something that's important to me, and that's why I brought that along also. And do you want to? Oh, is that like a Damascus? Is that or how's yeah. Well, this on one, steel? this one has all the lines in because that's all the pieces of cable. So it was a piece oh, of wire rope. Oh, okay. That was forged out, and that's why this one has has the lines in. Do you want to shout out? Um, your, yeah. your friend. Yeah, his business. So, uh, Minnick Forge. Uh, my buddy Dave Minnick. He's a he's a blacksmith. He works back at uh, Penn National. He shoes horses there, and he does a lot out at farms. He's he's worked uh, at Jamie Sakovic's farm a couple okay. times. Um, so he. He's he's been doing that since he was a teenager. He uh, apprenticed with one of his buddies, who I'm actually friends with also, um, and he's been doing it ever since. and And they get into making some knives and stuff like that. And so he's he's got a he's got quite the list for knives. There's always people looking for him. I was lucky enough to get one, actually two of them off of him. But it's something that uh, I. I hold pretty close. That's awesome. And, you know, local small business, family business, I think it's the lifeblood. Yeah. You know, it's not the Sam's Club or these huge corporations that are out there, the Dollar General. It's like, come on, I, I agree with you. Support local. Yeah. You know, um, so now do you do you know the leather holster who made that? I don't. He okay. told me at the okay. time who made it. Um, it. I think it's somebody that works at the track with him, does le- leather work. So when okay. he makes a knife, he hands it to him and he fits a, a sheath, yeah. puts a sheath together to, to fit it. Um, but yeah, and I mean, that's, that's how I got my start. I mean, Mike, Mikey gave me the chance to build tables at the hotel, which I was very thankful for. So, you know, we started out, he said, how about we make a couple of high top tables for the, for the bar room and, um, and ended up with approximately 30 tables. So there's a lot of tables. Yeah. So is that the first time you did uh, an order like that of that size? Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And he kept me busy for, I mean, it wasn't something that happened overnight. It was a Mm -hmm. couple of years worth. We do one room and then he might, you know, he, he kind of do some renovations to the building and then he'd say, okay, now I'm ready for 10 more in this room. Yeah. And, And then we ended up finishing out the, the deck. We did the ones on the deck. So yeah, he he kind of got me started there, and then obviously you know you post the pictures, and and I've gotten businesses. Um, I I did a couple for Big Daddies in Lebanon here. Um, oh yeah, well wow, okay. Yeah, I'll so check that out. Different businesses in the area see it and get a hold of me. Yeah, and that's how it grows. Perfect. Yep. So now, how can our listeners connect with you and follow along on your journey? 
We have a Facebook page for Little Mountain Log Works. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. I, I have an Instagram, uh, L Stoner, Little Mountain Log Works. So that's for the, for the log work side of things. That's how you can follow us. Uh, Becca and I just started a page for kind of our um, love of nature and kind of homesteading, our little homesteading uh, venture that we have going on. So we have uh, Spring Hollow Homestead Instagram. And we're not, in no way are we complete homesteaders, but, you know, we're we're starting out slow and working our way into it as we get time to to change things over. We, you know, we're raising some chickens for eggs and um, doing the gardening and just, you know, we got a pond and a spring on the property and we just thought it was a good way for us to share with other people kind of our experiences yeah and it's like bonding time too because you get to spend time together and yeah like you said educate others yeah before we close out is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know i think that pretty much sums it up i just uh i just wanted to kind of bring my story in and share it and um hopefully it, it reaches somebody that you know might want to share maybe dip their toes into the outdoors and and share it with their kids and hopefully we can keep keep the outdoors and in, in the youth's lives and, and, uh, take them for a hike or, you know, take them to the stream, show them, show them the native fish that are, that are swimming around the crawfish or whatever. I think it's important that we share that kind of lifestyle and, and pass it on so it doesn't die out. Get their hands dirty and get some fresh air. Yeah. Lucas Stoner, owner of Little Mountain Log Works on the American Grown Podcast and the Color Tech Creative Solution Studios. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. To see photos of today's guests and more content, just search American Grown Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to be a featured guest on the podcast, please direct message or email Austin at AmericanGrownPod at gmail.com.